Welcome to Musicians Versus the World, the podcast where we explore aspects of music and musician life that may not have been covered in music school. I am your host, Christine Smith. And today we are exploring the world of music editing, the invisible art form that is a success only if you don't notice it. We're lucky to have the award-winning music editor, Yuri Gorbachev, here to talk with us about this topic. Yuri Gorbachev is the founder of Aesthetic Corporation, a sound and music production company with a rich history in the audio for video industry. With a career spanning over 35 years, he has been working behind the scenes, ensuring that the music in some of the most iconic television productions reaches its highest possible standards. Recognized for his outstanding work, Yuri has been nominated for 25 MPSE Golden Reel Awards and has won four times for Best Sound and Music Editing. He has received 11 Canadian Screen Award nominations, winning nine times. Additionally, Yuri's contributions earned him two Primetime Emmy Award nominations for outstanding sound editing for a series, and he is especially acclaimed as a trustworthy ally and collaborator on prestige projects such as Vikings and Hulu's The Handmaid's Tale. So Yuri, thank you so much for being here and welcome to Musicians versus the World. Great. Thank you for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to chat with you. You are our first music editor on our program. And I'm so excited to just kind of dive into this and learn what it is that you do. So thank you so much for being here. Um, right. What does a music editor do? Well, a uh, short answer is um, we take all the music, deliver it in sync to the re-recording stage for the mix. And that's so this, the short answer. That's the short answer. So there's a long answer too. What's the long answer? Yeah. So... Um, uh, the way I've often described is music editing has a front end and a back end, and the front end includes things like uh, temp music, spotting notes, um, uh, uh, receiving the composer's first pass score. It's often their demos. Um, I send those out for distribution. Um, they need to be approved. Notes have to come back. They go back to the composer, um, and then the composer goes to record, whether they're going to record live instruments or not. So that kind of takes us to the middle. And then the back end is receiving the final score, mixing it with all the other music, because there's source music as well, songs that we license, putting those together, getting into the stage. Then we uh, would get, you know, get the elements mixed. Then there's notes. There's always changes. So facilitating those changes. That's where my job really becomes more prominent. Uh, we get those changes done. Uh, the show gets locked down. Then there's versions, short version, long version with commercials, airline version, the long version with, um, you know, with the naughty bits and the profane version, the less profane version, right? So it, <laughs> there's quite a few uh, versions. And then and then there's the administrative task of cue sheets and, uh, and uh, deliverables. Wow. That's a lot. So now who do you answer to? Um, I'm hired primarily by the production company, okay. not, not by the composer. Um, and I would uh, be um, uh, under the watchful eyes and ears of uh, the post-production supervisor. Okay. And, uh, and then, of course, there's a showrunner that, um, that is, uh, basically has the collection of all the visions, the, the story aspects that need to be told. And, and they're kind of broadcasting to us, the team, the dialogue getters, sound effects. We all have our own little different spotting sessions. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm part of that. Um, the, the direction is going straight to the composer, right? It's their music and, and they're the ones writing it. But I'm, I'm a keeper of that information. I'll, I'll uh, put fairly good notes together. I'll deliver those to the composer. So um, they've got their own notes plus what I heard in the room. 
little things like, um, oh, I want it to feel like, uh, you know, I'm camping in the woods or something, you know, and it's like, okay, camping in the woods. Like, what does that mean? We'll, we'll, we'll worry about that later. But, you know, like little things like that. Um, um, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm basically working with the um, post-production supervisor just to make sure things are on track for schedule and timing and and that. But really, I'm, I'm kind of paired with the composer and we, we work together as a team and we walk our way through and I, I get them to the re-recording stage and then, and then kind of represent their best interests while, while I'm there. Really? Okay. Okay. So when you're talking about the spotting session, that's when you sit down and you look at the cut of the film or the show and mm. you talk with the director or the supervisor and you say, in this scene, we want it to feel like we're camping. Right. And then, so at that point, do you kind of collaborate with the composer or are you kind of just a resource and they send things to you and you give them notes or you kind of a go-between? What is, how does that work? Um, in, in a music spot, besides the story textures that are discussed, we also talk about where the cue starts, where it ends. So the cueing, uh, any types of shifts that have to happen, the emotions in each shift. A cue could have three different emotions in it as we sort of run the arc through the scene. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of notes that are, that are taken. So that really, I just want to make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm in the same room and listening to the same conversation, right? Um, but all of these notes uh, are, are up, to, up to the composer to decide how they want to approach it. So we, we, I leave the composer alone, let them, let them do their thing, but they'll deliver me their first pass. And um, it becomes my job to uh, work that in with the dialogue. I do a little mix. Mm -hmm. uh, I've always... Uh, felt is very important to do that mix and it goes off to all the people who hear the music who will comment on it and uh, i've often believed that the better i do that mix the less notes come back and so the composer's often very excited about like sell that cue don't you know like make sure it's presented in its best light so it sounds like a finished product right yeah if the cue is a little clunky if it's too loud if it clobbers a line of dialogue th th there may be a comment to say there's something wrong with that cue please rewrite it Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I make sure that the cue is mixed beautifully, the dialogues are all crisp from from what I have available to me. Uh, let the music uh, do what it needs to do, and and then it sort of gracefully comes to an end. I guess it's looked upon favorably, right? And then, mm -hmm. and then then the comments can be more real as to the actual instrumentation and the arrangement and if it's working. So those notes go back to the composer. And again, I, I just I sit back. I'm I'm waiting, right? Mm -hmm. Basically for. Um, the score to be delivered. And then once it gets delivered, that's when I would represent them on the stage. Many times the composer can't, like, I mean, I'm based in Toronto, right? So physically they can't be here. But uh, if I'm on the stage with them and there's changes that are being requested, before we let them know that there's a change that's so significant that they might have to take another look at it, mm -hmm. um, there's so much that I can do. I can extend a cue, shorten it. I can make things change, shift it down a little bit. Basically, really work with the showrunner mm -hmm. to have them, you know, so that the cue just sort of drops in as nicely as it, it can. And if it's accepted, then no more needs to be said. So I, I try to prevent sending sending uh, music fixes back to the composer if, if if I can help it. Yeah. And you have experience as a composer and a re-recording mixer as well. And I can see like just in your face, how you have a fun time doing those little adjustments and things. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I, I look at it this way. You know, um, let's use the uh, the Rubik's cube as an example. When that little puzzle came out, right? Uh -huh. Some people were throwing these things against the wall. They were so frustrated, right? <laughs> but others 
were fascinated and became obsessed with the with the Rubik's cube. And I could, I could, yeah, I, I could say that you know the puzzle needs to be finished, and uh, you you obsess, you persist until it is correct, whatever that may be, until it's until everybody sort of breathes a sigh of relief and says that's a really beautiful piece of music, and it's done. Right. Oh, so I love yeah. the puzzle, for sure. Yeah. So now you had mentioned something about how you can extend a cue a little bit here. Now, when you're on that stage, how do you do that? Do you do that like right there in that session? Or is that something you take home and you try to extend it in your own studio? How does that work? Right. Great question. So I do bring a rig with me. Okay. Um, and uh, let me rephrase that. I used to bring a rig with me. And uh, COVID changed a little bit of that. Um, we we still had shows. I mean, obviously when that awful thing hit. Uh, it kind of stopped things for a bit. But once we started rolling again, we we were starting to practice distancing. And um, that mixed with some new technology, sort of Zoom Plus, as it were, mm-hmm. where I could uh, actually stay in my studio, where I'm at right now, and I've got my main rig. i got three 27-inch monitors across here. I, this is where I'm most comfortable editing. So rather than taking my little laptop and trying to do fixes on the stage, yeah. which is something that I used to do, um, to, to be able to then deliver those fixes right there. I don't really need to be just outside the studio or in the back part of the room with headphones. I, I can just, I can stay at home now. And I've got high-speed internet and just deliver it to the stage and it's as if I was there. So wow. that seems to be the the more common approach now is that I can be at the stage for the playback and uh, if there's going to be fixes, I, I hop in the car and I, I go home right away. And then, <laughs> and then I, do, I do part two because it's a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, I have more resources available to me. So it's much more efficient now. And that's kind of the little variation in workflow that's happened over the last couple of years now. Mm, okay. That's that's pretty amazing. I love that. I love it that they say, oh, there's, there's a problem. You're like, okay, I got to go home. <laughs> go. Yeah. So now you've won multiple awards for your your music editing and your sound editing. What makes something a good music edit? Okay, really, really good question. Um, uh, award season is a is is an interesting time, obviously, and we we all submit and and we hope for the best. Um, with the MPSCs, it really comes down to its peer recognition. With music editing, because the score itself is written by the composer, how does one judge music editing? Right. And um, we are expected to submit quite a few reports, quite a few do- supporting documentation for our, our, uh, our submission. And um, often that includes discussing how many picture changes there were or, mm. you know, what what elements of editing. Like, show us. We'll do a screenshot of our Pro Tool session. And, and you can just see all the little cuts and, and we'll, we'll explain why we made those cuts there. So we, on, on a cue-by-cue basis, it's a, it's a fairly lengthy submission. We don't just... Yeah ask for a, a tape and send it in and have it screened because our peers who would be music editors that have to look at this, they get it. They understand. It's like, well, what, what did you do? And we, and we have to explain uh, what it is that, that we do. Right. Because if you do a good job, no one notices the edit. Exactly it. Yeah. Right. Because our work is invisible. Yeah. <laughs> it's not supposed to be noticed by the viewing audience. Then, then how do you tell? Well, those in on the team would understand when picture starts getting cut, when things are being asked to be moved around, the, the music is not 
invisible. It's clunky. It, mm-hmm. It's things that are just sort of sitting there. They're not, they're not gelled. Even moving something three frames later, just ever so later, yeah. just drops everything in properly. Some, you know, there's a, there's a, I guess like in comedy, right? A good joke has timing. Mm-hmm. And so the dialogue editor, or, well, the dialogue sound effects and music, it could be like, uh, you know, pull, pulls a gun out and goes, hey, stick them up, right? So you got dialogue, you got the music that goes, ta-da. And it just can't be too soon and too late. It gets very, very subtle. And so when you go through that process and everything is right and everyone in the room, dialogues there, sound effects, the mixers, the number of clients, and uh, we all know that's feeling much better. Mm -hmm. That's feeling much better. And then we just let that go. And so then when the average viewer or when sophisticated viewer watches the show, it's, it's just a beautiful package. The presentation is just there and you just enjoy it, right? Mm. Is that why you call it an underrated art form? Because it's invisible? Um, it's invisible, yeah. It is. It, I, I mean, art form, by definition, I think there's an art form or there's a creativity for sure. We haven't spoken about temp music, and maybe that's my segue to go into mm-hmm. that. Sure. But temp music is very much an art form. Um, there's a controversy associated with hemp music. I'm, I've been in the center of that for most of my life. I'm the music editor. I'm the guy that's putting the stuff in that the <laughs> producer falls in love with that then tells the composer to copy that, right? Yeah. And, uh, and then everybody gets upset. But honestly, that's been dealt with uh, decades ago, right? Temp love is a real, is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the music that is used in early, early editing. Remember, I'm hired often before the composer's even hired. Mm-hmm. I'm brought on board. We're thinking about, uh, you know, we're going to lock soon. We're going to have to hire a composer soon, but we need to have some music put in. The picture editor may request, uh, may request a music editor. Up until then, they don't need one, right? But all of a sudden, the picture editor has a deadline. Um, picture editing is also, you know, bring a picture editor onto your show, and then they'll be able to tell you that, uh, images have their own rhythm as well, right. and picture editors might want to cut without music, let those visual rhythms establish themselves, and then bring in a piece of music to support that. I don't think a picture editor wants to bring in a piece of music and then cut to it. It's not a. It's not a, as simple as a video. So if the uh, picture editor, they're laying in temporary music, they're kind of having some fun, but at a certain point, they may need to hand it off to a music editor. There's sometimes temp screenings to financiers, to test audiences. I'm kind of going into feature films a little bit here. I'm kind of going into all the projects I've worked on. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I'm brought in to cut temp, play it for a test audience. It goes over very well. And uh, and then notes come back and then things are starting to to cook. You know, who are we going to hire? Maybe Yuri, you could do temp music from the composers being considered. So I mm. go to their movies and their projects and start throwing some music in. And all of this is happening in advance. And so where's the art form? Well, the art form is cutting alternates. I'm not going to just put one piece of music in. I'll put in two, three, up to five, five pieces of music. So we can be conventional. Here's a scene, I don't know, some action, a little car chase or whatever. Let's go conventional. So I'll go find some music that's conventional from other sources, Mm -hmm. even from very big-name composers and big-name movies. Just go to the video store and load up on, on, on the music, sorry, the CD store or go to app. Go to go to wherever we get our music nowadays. <laughs> uh, but I used to I used to buy uh, all the soundtracks, right? right, and digitize them into my system and 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 lay them up. So we can go conventional. We can kind of go over the top. We can maybe play it funny. We can go subtle. We can go counterpoint. We can uh, find a song and put a rock and roll song in there. And all of it has it's the same picture, right? And the reactions are, are much different. So we kind of let those percolate and, and let the 
um, you let the music, all these all options play for everyone, and then comments start to come back. Mm-hmm. Don't like that at all, right? Okay, good, good, good. That, that <laughs> helps, right? It's very helpful. And then some are, are wonderful, right? So I think, you know, using temporary music as a, as a role model is a very important thing, right? You want to decorate your house, uh, you and your partner deciding, oh, let's get a blue sofa, you know? And then you flip through all the catalog and you find a blue sofa, and what about this, Right. And then ultimately, that's not the sofa you're going to get. Ultimately, you may commission a custom sofa to be built for you. But at least you have the language to, to speak about color and image and, and mm-hmm. shape, and you can communicate that to somebody else. So the role of temp music is very important. And at some point, and this is the reality, is that legally it has to be discarded. Right. So what do we keep from that? And that is all those conversations. I've been keeping notes on everything that was said from, I hate that, to I love that and everything in between. And so some of this has to be communicated to the composer so that when they come on board, they're not forced to copy the temp. Right. They, can, they can get all the language leading up to that and then they can go, oh, that's very interesting. Let me walk away with that and I'll come back and I will continue from where the temp left off rather than being forced to copy the temp. Gotcha. And when you continue where the temp left off, you can help deliver the emotion that's 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 required. So that's the artful part, I think, of music editing is the temporary music and managing all of those different alternates. Mm-hmm. And then once that's learned, then the composer is 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 uh, so much further ahead in what what it is that they need to do. And then they're not burdened with with what should I write? Right. Or thinking that they know what they're doing and then having to rewrite everything because they just don't have all the information that they're needing. Yeah, information is important. What what was said in the room? How how is it um, you know described? I you know whenever the topic of temp love comes up, I I use the example of temp hate, right? Mm-hmm. We'll be at a music spotting session, and of course, all that temp music is embedded, right? So it's being played as we're as we're going through it, and we'll come to the end of the scene. We'll, we'll pause and we'll go. You know what? We don't like that temp. Why? Well, the temp is not addressing the storyline or it's it's playing to this character it should be playing to that character oh interesting and these notes are being taken down so in a way it's it's whether the cue is loved or hated it doesn't matter the, the, it's the discussion that's the most important and that and and we're all present as, as a team we're all present to ultimately be on the same page and then the composer i think has so much more to work with when they when they walk away and and find themselves alone in front of their system and what are they going to write uh, hopefully they now have a little bit more of a kick to, to move them forward. That is so interesting. And does the same thing happen in a show? I know you've worked on Vikings, which is coming out in 2024, the next season of that. Is that a similar process when you're doing episodic sort of things? Um, yeah, episodic is a little different. And uh, and uh, Vikings also had various phases, right? Vikings has been around since 2013. It's just mm-hmm. been such a great run. And, uh, and I'm grateful, believe me, I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to work on a show that runs nine seasons and then has a spinoff called Vikings Valhalla, mm-hmm. which is now uh, seasons one and two aired already. So season three is coming out in right. uh, Q1 of 2024. It's gone through various incarnations. Earlier on, I was doing some temp, uh, a lot of the temp music, because the show was just looking for its, its voice, mm-hmm. it was looking for its sound. And so these role models were being pitched. And um, uh, but at a certain point, um, it, the show stabilized. The picture editors were able to to develop um, their own shorthand with with temporary music. Then the composer Trevor Morris has been delivering the first season, for example. So now we have a library which which I manage with a database, and the library is available to the picture editors to to lay up bits of music to create temp. Uh, 
and they can finish the the episode on their own or they can request some some help if they're having a little bit of difficulty with a, a particular place. I'll, they'll throw me a scene that's just in, in, in an early cutting stage mm-hmm. and then I find them some music. Or they might ask me, can you send me five pieces of music that represent this character? We need a certain level of fear or we need a level of, you know, some of the more sophisticated emotions of wonder and intrigue and suspense. Mm-hmm. It's not all da-da-da, right? We, we don't want to go over the top or, or, or play it under. So um, I'm hunting through the library and I just fire them off some, some ideas is and they, they lay it up and so that it, it becomes sort of a little bit self-perpetuating mm-hmm. in some episodes I have very little to do mm-hmm. right and every once in a while an episode comes along where we basically uh, track it so there are there is a couple of episodes in Vikings where Trevor didn't write anything and it was all tracked from library mm-hmm. and um, and so that's a good episode to submit for awards consideration because I would have cut um, all the music and molded it and adjusted it, presented it. It was all mixed, and then and then it can kind of go in. So it's, that's a satisfying feeling to to get a tracked episode every you know once a season. Yeah, yeah, because that's when your your real creativity, like you have just like kind of free reign with that creativity. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, otherwise it's a support role. Uh-huh. And uh, I was going to say the the show almost dictates to you, right? The the scene plays itself out and with with guidance from from production, we we know what we need to do, right? And then the guidance continues as we work our way through through to the mix. Mm-hmm. So you get to do all of this and then you mentioned there's the cue sheet afterwards as well. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole other story. Can <laughs> you want to explain a little bit what your role is in this cue sheet and what it does? Right. So uh you know, I mean, legally, um, and for the benefit of the composer and benefit for the distribution of the show, uh, we need to know how much music is 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 in it. So the cue sheet is um, the final administrative uh, task of breaking each piece of music down in various different clips, each cue, and then uh, uh, who's the owner of the cue, the publishing, the length of time, the type of music. Is it a visual vocal? Is it a background instrumental? Is it theme? And, um, you know, we basically finalize that and each version gets its own mm-hmm. we haven't spoken about versions but right. you know we start chopping up the show and there's five different versions that are going all around the world like five major versions and then there's subversions to that but um yeah so obviously being able to to keep a database mm-hmm. and uh, track the the details mm-hmm. and then yeah that's the that's part of the deliverables and then of course there's um the actual music that was used for the show the stereo mixes they 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 all kind of go into a library as well. So I'm managing my own library, but I'm also managing uh, the deliverables uh, for the production. So Netflix, for example, with Vikings Valhalla has very specific um, uh, requirements mm-hmm. for their deliveries. And so I want to be able to help with that. So we can talk about these uh, different versions. Why are, Why do you need so many different versions? I think I touched on that uh, earlier. Mm-hmm. Some networks, you know, before nine o'clock, it has to be squeaky clean. Yeah. You know, after nine o'clock, uh, it can be a little naughtier. And mm-hmm. then there might be a Showtime uh, version, a cable t- uh, version, and it can be, you know, its original, raucous, wonderful, dramatic self, right? <laughs> so um, so there's, there's, there's that. Uh, certain networks will allow the show to be longer, right? Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll go into uh, Showtime networks, for example, The Tudors, which ran for, uh, uh, for four seasons um, Quite a long time ago now, but the Tudors, um, you know, on Showtime it was fifty-five minutes. But when it played on network television with commercial breaks, it's forty-four thirty. Mm-hmm. So what happened to the thirteen minutes? Right? Yeah. 
right? It gets cut out. And uh, and then the show needs to still have have story. So the picture editors, the production is guiding the, the story as it's being told. But um, the, the cut down from 57 minutes, what do we do with those cues, mm-hmm. right? With dialogue and sound effects, you, you cut a scene out and you just take away that those elements, but the music tends to kind of just drip over into the next scene. So the music is lopped right off. And so now we have to put an ending on it. How do we end that cue? So for versioning, I usually get some additional time to be delivered the new version. I've got the stems from the the final mix, Mm -hmm. and then I put it together. Now, whether I can cut it together and then, uh, well, usually send it back to the re-recording mixers who then have to blend it back in. But that's uh, that's a, f- a fair amount of time. Yeah, it seems uh, like it. Afterwards. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. How much time do you usually get to do that? Um, it's hard to add up. I mean, you know, is it a is it a 40-hour week? Like, it's, it's here and there, right? Bits okay. and pieces all open up. I'll be working on multiple episodes at the same time. So as we're wrapping up an episode and delivering it, um, you know, we're also doing the music spot for something four episodes down and then everything in, in the middle. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's funny if I'm asked, you know, can you predict how many hours it's going to take you to, to cut it? it? It depends on the complexity of that episode. Mm-hmm. So hopefully over the arc of the season, there's some harder episodes and some easier episodes and the whole thing works out. I, I mean, I'm just monitoring, you know, my work life in terms of, you know, am I getting enough sleep, right? right. And if, you know, and if that's okay, that's fine. But the the, the workload, um, as anyone in in media arts will tell you, it, it can get it can get pretty crazy mm-hmm. uh, with with deliveries that loom very quickly, and suddenly you find yourself doing a late night that that you weren't expecting, and that, that that's part of the it's part of the gig. You know, we we all know about that. So really, it's about managing that, mm-hmm. and uh, and I have a couple of mechanisms to be able to make sure I get the sleep because that's what gives you the energy to carry on, right? right. So you just have pick and choose and maybe take little naps here and there. Just <laughs> good to go, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Do you have a typical day or does it just depend on what project you're working on? Um, uh, there, yeah, there is no typical day. Uh, often I'm working on multiple series. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I could be on a Handmaid's and Vikings Valhalla and uh, 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 Accused, which is a, a courtroom procedural. And they're all kind of being turned on and off as, as I need to... Uh, facilitate things. So the the only time I worry about overlaps is is meetings. Okay. Right. If I'm on my own working, uh, I'm free to work on something, and I usually have some time. I, I don't have deadlines looming within hours and minutes. If if an instruction comes out, then um, you know I'll address it as quickly as I can. So the only thing I tend to work worry about is um, do I have to be at a studio while being at a spotting session for another another episode or another show? Mm-hmm. That that could be that could be a bit dicey. Well, because you don't make those schedules, right? Like that's because there's so many people that need to be at those different sessions. If things do overlap, how do you usually manage that? Well, that's where an, an amazing post-production supervisor and and their coordinating team comes in because they are constantly scheduling and they're constantly adjusting the schedules. Mm-hmm. All kinds of things can happen and instruction can come in. We have to delay something. Um, I, I don't find things get pulled up, but I mean, usually if let's say there's a music spot, I'm emailed with a request. Are you available? Right, mm. and then I can I can quickly let them know I've got a bit of a conflict there, um, or I I can make myself available. Depends on if it's if it's really necessary. So that that is of course in post production scheduling is is critical, and there's you know you need really good people to be able to do that. Yeah. So I'm grateful that that someone can can check in with me, and then I can um, 
we, you know, I can pick a time that I am available and then I lock it down and, and then we just manage that mm. as best we can. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, I just wonder, cause you've been doing this for 35, over 35 years. Right. How did you get into this? I'm sure the industry has changed so much and I would love to see how it's changed. But first, how did you get into it in the first place? Um, well, I, I trained as a, as a recording engineer, record producer. I went to the music industry arts program at uh, Fanshawe College in London, Ontario back in 1982. Uh, <clears throat> it was uh, <laughs> one of the few schools in existence for that kind of thing, commercial commercial music. Of course, now there's, all, there's many, many more schools mm-hmm. all throughout the U.S. and, and Canada. Um, so I graduated from that program and landed at a recording studio that interestingly was kind of going through an economical tough time and they survived by going into film and television production. Basically, the argument was bringing record-making technology, right, which is two-inch open reel tape, um, using, you know, with some new technology of synchronization and replacing the sprocketed film that was being used in in film in those days. So uh, I landed in a studio, unbeknownst to me, I thought I was going to be doing rock and roll bands and found myself uh, working on on. TV shows. And uh, as an engineer, um, you know, dialogue, spoken voice, vocals, right? Uh, sound effects, noises, percussion, drums. When you think about it, they, they kind of all uh, are mixed up. And then the music is, is the music. And um, I happen to be a musician. I'm a drummer. I think that's helpful mm-hmm. to be able to, right? And, and But I don't think you have to be a drummer. I think anybody who taps on the, you know, when people are tapping on the desk and the other yeah. people are telling them to stop it, uh, all the people <laughs> tapping, they would make good music editors, okay? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't think you need to be a musician per se. I'm having fun of it, but I, I love tapping on people are always telling me to stop, and that's fine. Um, <laughs> but that's the, that's the act, right? You're tapping to the beat, and you're yeah. going to make an edit there, and you're going to make another edit, and you're going to put the two together. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I think, you know, recording engineering and, and uh, my education uh, was very helpful and, and you could port uh, the music industry into into audio post. And uh, uh, that was kind of the official learning. But then unofficially, you're, you're, you're working in, in the studio. Uh, we're adapting the technology. We're keeping everything in sync. That's, that's the critical part is, is the repeatability. You have to be able to go back and then play it over again and make sure everything is identical except for the things that you change. Mm. But I, I um, uh, my time at the facility, I, re- I remember um, after a number of years assisting, the general manager came to me and was asking me, like, what is it that you want to do? Do you want to be a Foley recordist or do you want to be a mixer? Or do you want And I was just like, I want it all. Bring it on. I want it all. And they didn't really know what to do with that because uh, it was a very exciting time to work on dialogue and shoot some ADR, spend some time with an actor and then go over and Foley and pound away with a phone book and some mud and then run over <laughs> – do some music editing and then mix it all together. I just kept saying, listen, I, I want it all. And interestingly, the general manager was like, hmm, you know, we're a very, very busy post house. And um, I'm always having scheduling, whether people are, are ill or, or they, they leave, they move on. And so to have a floater was really handy. So he, he granted me my wish and I was able to just do everything in audio post, which served me really well when I finally went freelance mm-hmm. and uh, decided what is it, you know, what is it that I want to do? And so when it comes to music editing, to know that I have to hand my work off to a re-recording mixer is really great because I did that role mm-hmm. for a, a long time in a high capacity. So I don't do that anymore, but I'm, I know where they're coming from so I, I can me- meet their expectations. And the same thing with working with a composer. I was, um, you know, in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, there was a lot of library. The TV series would would um, have composers just write massive amounts of library, and then they would just cut. 
mm-hmm. into the show. And so the music editor was was much more of an engineer following the guidance of the composer. It's the composer's vision, right? Mm-hmm. But they never wrote to score the episode. They wrote library, and then they would grab the little bits and pieces. So it was a lot of fun to work with that. And, and certainly my early mentors who really helped to educate me on what I needed to do were composers who were showing me how to bridge and how to musically, you know, bridge things together. So I think ultimately, um, uh, I love I loved having that that wonderful holistic exposure to the entire post process. Mm-hmm. And when the golden age of television really matured, early two thousands, there it became a full time job to be a music editor. And then I dropped in with a really great production company, a, a number of them. And then started working on more high-end uh, network uh, television series, and it was just like there's no time to be, you know, soup to nuts. You can't you can't just be the one engineer that does the entire audio post. Yeah, um, you've got to you've got to be part of a team, and uh, and that became more of the reality over the last twenty odd years, is working mostly as a music editor, um, but but understanding what everyone else is doing on the team. So. Right. Yeah, that makes you a better collaborator when you understand what they're Absolutely. when they're Absolutely. doing. Wow, that's so interesting. So you've seen a lot of changes. Where do you see music editing going in the future? Well, I hope I hope it survives AI. That's ultimately <laughs> the question. We um, all hope everything survives AI. Yeah, yeah. I can I can imagine if you just put a couple of links in and hit a button and everything just gets lined up. I know. Um, I think you know the future of music editing. It's it's hard to predict. Um, I know that it's a very necessary task. Media composers, screen composers, often are taking on the roles that are traditionally belong to a music editor, right? And there's some benefits to that, but there's also detriment to that. If a composer has to, for example, start laying out their stems, right? That's something that I would I would do. I'm liaising with the re-recording mixer, and the re-recording mixer is telling me this this is how I like to receive things, and then I go to the composer and they go, this is how I like to to print things, and then I'll try to broker the the differences and um, and and put it together. So it, it's something that I do in the background on my own, and I just absolve the composer from all those tasks. Mm. So production that hires me to look after it, it really gives more time for the composer to write, and they don't have to worry about all these tasks. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 in a way, I, I hope I can continue to do that because I'm I'm not a composer in waiting. I've never been. Uh, wanting to compose music, interestingly enough, because I'm too obsessed with the Rubik's Cube of puzzle solving, which is what happens when the music gets all chopped up, right? Uh-huh. So, um, so I think the in you know in the future, I I think that music editing will continue. Uh, like some of the tools that are coming out with Pro Tools are are quite amazing. Pitch shifting, for example, mm-hmm. uh, time compression has really matured, yeah. and it used to be very noisy. It used to be uh, at a certain point, you've got a certain amount of time compression that you could do, and then you could hear your audio crumble. Mm-hmm. And as an audio engineer, you'd have to say, "I can't, I can't, I can't do that." So you have to go back to other other methods. But now that time compression is much better, it can go a little bit, um, it can have a little bit more advanced. So I think, I think my, you know, I think uh, technology is nipping at my heels a little bit mm-hmm. and um, scaring me away, or, or like I, I don't know. It's it's hard to say, but um, uh, ultimately. Um, there's a schedule and then there's the story that needs to be told and yeah. and the teams are put together that way. So we'll see. I think, yeah, good post-production supervisors also crew up. So mm-hmm. they're the ones that understand, um, you know, what the budget is for a music editor and how much they would need one. So I'm, I'm optimistic that uh, the future looks good. Oh, good. I love it. I love 
what you do. And the more we are talking, the more like, wow, that sounds like a really, really amazing way to make a living. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. It seems like a lot of fun. So, um, and you teach, so you see a lot of up and coming music editors that are wanting to do what you're doing. What sort of advice do you have for aspiring musicians or aspiring music editors? Well, for sure, there's tenacity, right? Uh There's curiosity. Um, If you're not curious or tenacious, um, you you might want to find something else, right? Like ultimately, if you're an aspiring musician, you go, well, what can I do with my musical skills? Well, let's see what's out there, right? And you you can piggyback onto a number of different things. And if, for example, music editorial is one of them, then, um, you know, you ask yourself, are you curious enough to want to pursue multiple avenues because we don't just put one piece of music to one scene and then like it or not. We do it five times and then we see how they're interacting, right? So there's a journey there. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, there's a, there's a few other things. I, I, I uh, for example, would say never throw anything out, right? Mm-hmm. Which means that when you make a cut, um, you might judge it as, oh, I, I don't like that. I'm going to just get rid of it. It's like, no, 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 don't do that. Tr- finish it off and park it as like a least favorite alt and go work on another alternate. So I'm always working on alternates. There's the scene I'm going to do. I'm going to cut it three or four different ways, uh, whether it's temp or whether I'm cutting from library uh, or I'm assisting the composer with with just giving them ideas. Um, you have to be able to finish it off because that if you judge your own work and you get rid of something because you don't like it, something might happen a day or two down the road, a little shift in perspective, and next thing you know, that least favorite alt becomes the leading contender. And you're just like, what are? Oh, I threw it out. Oh no! Right? <laughs> so, so it's a uh, so yeah. You need a little bit of um, hoarding instinct. I don't know if I can go there. You know, a little bit of yeah. Don't. I mean, digital doesn't doesn't take up a lot of space, right? right. So I think I think that's uh, that's uh, a big part of it. But um, you know, pursue your passions. I suppose. Music editors kind of evolve out of, let's say, musicianship versus you find yourself in a post house, you might be cutting some sound effects or dialogue, um, and and uh, the, the need comes up. I, I know a lot of music editors that that are uh, past sound effects editors. Wait a second. Me, I'm a past sound effects editor too. But um, <laughs> um, I, I think you slide into that that position if you're in a in a in a post audio house and you're kind of exposed to it. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I'm... Keep your eyes open, ears open, and look around and see what's coming up. And if the opportunity presents itself, then, you know, obviously um, give it a chance because it's, um, it's, it's a great gig. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. You're, you are amazing. Thank you so much for talking with me and explaining this whole aspect and this whole career in music that I did not know very much about. I just I so appreciate you. It's been such a joy chatting with you. Oh, likewise. A pleasure. Thank you for joining us today on the Musicians vs. the World podcast in our conversation with music editor Yuri Gorbachev. If you would like to learn more about Yuri and the work he does, we will have links to his company, Aesthetic Corporation, and Yuri's own IMDb page in our show notes on our website, frostedlens.com slash musicians versus the world. Musicians vs. the World is a production of Frosted Lens Entertainment in conjunction with Miss Sound Music. It is hosted and edited by me, Christine Smith, and our producer today is Russ Wilkes. If you have enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss out on any future conversations. You can also find a video version of this interview on our Musicians vs. the World YouTube channel. If you have any questions for us, topics you'd like to hear about, 
or any helpful advice for other musicians you'd like to share, be sure to reach out on Instagram, threads, or Facebook, or send us an email at info at Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.